to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokens and not token lovers of liberty. It is Tuesday, February 14th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode 889, and coming up on today's show, in the Cannabis Focus, we'll take a look at California cities trying to ban personal indoor marijuana cultivation. In drug war data mining, we get financial data on the growth of marijuana stocks. In our activist agenda, Normal's Kevin Mamalji joins us to discuss how Normal is battling for our right to work. Also, in our Radical Rant, I'll discuss the most compelling reasons to support marijuana legalization. Then, in Hour 2, we'll talk about Attorney General Sessions, and we'll talk also about uh, the DEA dropping some of the reefer madness from their website, and updates on Vermont and the Kratom Herb. But first, let's get to the Cannabis Headline News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Tuesday, February 14th, 2017. The New Mexico State Senate approved revisions Monday to the state's 2007 medical cannabis law sponsored by Senator Cisco McSorley, a Democrat from Albuquerque. The bill now moves to the House of Representatives. It would add to the current law 14 medical conditions that qualify for a treatment with marijuana and already have been reviewed by regulators, including patients diagnosed with substance use disorders without specifying what addictions are covered. The bill would increase the maximum number of plants for each grower once the number of registered patients statewide reaches 35,000. There currently are about 32,000 registered patients, with growers limited to 450 plants each. Earlier bill provisions were dropped that would have allowed military veterans to qualify as patients without a diagnosis. Visitors enrolled in other state medical marijuana programs would be able to buy in New Mexico under the new measures. Pueblo County, Colorado's Board of Commissioners on Monday morning approved a contract that creates a nearly $475,000 scholarship fund for local high school seniors attending college in Pueblo. The lion's share of that fund, $425,000, came from excise tax collections from cannabis cultivation, said county spokeswoman Paris Carmichael. Typically, 300 to 400 Pueblo high school seniors attended Pueblo Community College or Colorado State University after graduation, Carmichael said. There's no set scholarship limit per student, so it's possible that the scholarships could be greater than the estimated $1,000 per student, she said. Last year, Pueblo County awarded 23 such scholarships, totaling $50,000. To qualify for the cannabis-funded scholarship, the student must be a graduating high school senior in 2017, live in Pueblo County, and attend either Pueblo Community College or Colorado State University in the fall of 2017. More information on the applications, which are due April 30th, is available at phef.net. 
Lansing, Michigan now has an ordinance that sets regulations for growing medical marijuana in residential homes. Starting next week, it requires owners of homes that grow medical marijuana to register with the city if they use more than 3,500 kilowatt hours of electricity, intermittent or continuous. Owners of homes that don't grow medical marijuana would also have to register with the city if they exceed the monthly kilowatt limit. Failure to register a residential home, a structure, or building could result in a civil infraction. Residents who have homes that don't exceed the kilowatt hours limit will have to register if their operation emits gases, fumes, smoke, or odors outside of the building or structure and across the building or structure's property line. A Wyoming Senate committee on Monday scaled back a bill that modifies the penalty structure for marijuana possession and closes the edibles loophole for marijuana-containing products. Under the proposed law, as amended by the Senate committee, someone caught with eight ounces of a marijuana-infused product would face a fine of up to $200 and or 20 days in jail for a first offense. Punishments increase to a felony on the fourth offense. Currently, possession of up to three ounces of marijuana or up to three-tenths of a gram of hash oil is a misdemeanor with a potential one year in prison. Merely being under the influence of marijuana in Wyoming can earn one a six-month jail term. The edibles loophole refers to the fact that marijuana-infused products are not considered marijuana under the state law. The Wyoming House had included marijuana in the new penalty structure, but the Senate committee stripped that provision from the bill. A warning about a dangerous new drug in Lake County, Ohio, was a false alarm. Last week, the Painesville Township Fire Department warned about three overdoses linked to, quote, marijuana laced with an unknown opiate, end quote, on their Facebook page. Quote, the victims are unaware they are using anything other than marijuana, they wrote, but are overdosing like they had used heroin or fentanyl, end quote. The post was shared thousands of times. Then, over the weekend, the fire department posted a correction. Quote, the people involved in these incidents later admitted to the use of other drugs, they wrote, adding that, quote, lab results found no evidence of laced marijuana. Unwittingly, the fire department revealed one of the main dangers when they admitted that, quote, sometimes people are not honest with us about what they have taken or used. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Tuesday, February 14th, 2017. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belleville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Every cigarette is doing you damage. Every time you inhale, tobacco smoke condenses in your lungs to form tar. This is a healthy lung. And this is the amount of tar a pack-a-day smoker breathes in every year. Every cigarette is doing you damage. <laughs> Authorized by the Australian Government, Canberra. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRust.com. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. 
The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they aim you to say that. <laughs> Far out, man. I haven't seen a bong in years. <laughs> a public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our cannabis focus. Recently, some researchers looked at some of the most common reasons people give for supporting the legalization of marijuana or opposing the legalization of marijuana. Uh, They also reviewed some of the rhetoric they use to justify maintaining marijuana prohibition. The, the study was called Public Perceptions of Arguments Supporting and Opposing Recreational Marijuana Legalization. And in it, the authors discovered that the best messages for garnering support for marijuana legalization are economic. Almost 64% of the respondents felt messages about marijuana's ability to raise tax revenue for the state were the most compelling reasons to vote for legalization. The second highest rated argument for legalization at 63% support was the idea that marijuana legalization is going to help reduce prison overcrowding. That message, however, is matched in support for the highest rated reason to oppose marijuana legalization. And again, at 63%, the respondents felt that the fact that marijuana is still federally illegal was the best reason to maintain marijuana prohibition. Other messages didn't resonate as well with those surveyed. That legalization will fail to end the black market for marijuana was cited by 57% of respondents as a good reason to keep prohibition intact. Faring worst in convincing people to reject marijuana legalization were the arguments centered on promoting public health. Only 52% found the notion of legalization contributing to a rise in automobile crashes to be a good reason to vote no on legalization, while just under 50% believed that protecting the health of our youth was reason enough to keep arresting adults who smoke pot. There's a lot of good news in this survey. For me, finding out that it was was 49.8% of the people that agreed with the what about the children message, that we need to keep marijuana illegal to protect the health of the kids. That's good news as far as I'm concerned because our opponents beat that drum every chance they get, the what about the children message. It doesn't seem that it's their best message they've got. And the 52% that uh, felt that legalization contributes to a rise in automobile crashes, that that was a good reason to vote no, is also a pretty decent number considering how often our opponents use that. In fact, those two arguments which I call Watsy, what about the children, and Smoff, stoned mayhem on the freeways, were the two least popular arguments to support marijuana prohibition. So I would expect our opponents, people like Kevin Sibet, to start hammering away at that federal illegality part that rated at 63%. However, I feel that The most compelling reason to legalize marijuana hasn't been mentioned yet. And if we fail to address that, 
the effectiveness of these other arguments is going to fade. When I see the people in the news raving about Colorado raking in $1.3 billion in marijuana sales and pulling in almost $200 million in taxes, well, it's no wonder that you get nearly two-thirds of these study respondents that are favoring revenue arguments for marijuana legalization. Sure, $200 million is a drop in the bucket when it comes to some of these state budgets, but it's $200 million more than we were making before. But those revenues are based on taxing ounces of marijuana that cost about $200. As marijuana's wholesale price begins to fall due to the increased production in the legal states, especially California when it comes online, there's not going to be as much tax revenue to be raised. It's going to get to a point where the price of marijuana falls so low that its taxation based on price barely covers the cost of its regulation. And the lower the wholesale price falls, the cost of security and testing and inspections and regulations and licensing and all that overhead becomes a bigger proportion of the overall price. Now, the states are going to struggle to maintain the price of marijuana. They want to keep that price artificially high enough for them to keep the revenue flowing. But the more they do that, the more the black market will succeed in undercutting those taxed and regulated prices. And the more the black market succeeds, the more that amplifies that second best reason for supporting the prohibition of marijuana, the one that got 57%, the idea that legalization won't end the black market. But to me, the most compelling reason to legalize marijuana is because its prohibition is just wrong. Period. No entity has the authority to tell me what I may or may not do with my own body and mind so long as that activity hurts no others. Look, we don't we don't base someone's right to get a tattoo or to get a piercing or to get a haircut based on whether taxing those professions makes the state some revenue. We don't stop people from exercising, meditating, or masturbating because those activities don't make any money for the government. There are no economic arguments involved because freedom is not determined by a cost-benefit analysis. It is our right to do with our bodies what we choose. It is our right to do with our minds what we choose. If we continue to hinge the marijuana legalization argument on the idea of raising tax revenue, it is eventually, this is a a, a point of diminishing returns with that argument as the price of marijuana continues to drop and the tax revenue continues to drop. And, And when that happens, when we no longer make money on it, how is that, uh, how are we going to continue to convince people, state after state, to embrace legalization? The second most potent argument, the one that got 63% for the support of marijuana legalization, was the argument that it would reduce prison overcrowding. This is an argument I'm worried about as well, because this argument can be, can be shot down. Uh, we hear it from Kevin Sabet, Project Sam, all these opponents all the time, that there really aren't that many people in jail or prison for the possession of marijuana or for 
what these marijuana laws will be making legal. Now it's uh, some sleight of hand. It's it's some uh, it's some shenanigans that they pull to to get that sort of statistic. They'll say. 0.1% of the federal prisoners or 0.3% of state and federal prisoners are there primarily for where their worst charge is marijuana possession. Now, keep in mind, we got 2.3 million incarcerated people in this, in this country. 0.1% of that is still a lot of people. But where they're getting this 0.1 or this 0.3 or whatever tiny little number they, they bring up to you, the way they get that it's through the caveat that marijuana possession was the most serious charge they're imprisoned for. What happens when people get busted for drugs, get busted for marijuana, is that prosecutors will stack on as many charges as they can and the biggest charges they can in the hopes they can use those as bargaining chips when it comes down to the plea bargain process. So someone who's in possession well, possession charge isn't going to go very far, but oh, looky here, he had it in two separate baggies because it was two different strains. But as far as we're concerned, that means he was divvying it up for sale. So now we'll charge him with uh, possession with intent to sell. Now we'll charge him with trafficking. Oh, he, he made a phone call or a text message to uh, get that. Oh, now we'll add on the use of telecommunications devices in the commission of a crime. Now we'll add on some conspiracy charges. So what happens is a lot of times for what is really just someone who's a recreational consumer trying to grow or buy some weed for themselves, they're not dealers, they're not kingpins, they're just somebody who wants to, to use for themselves. Those people get caught up in charges that were designed for kingpins, that were designed for people in the commercial illegal marijuana trade. And so the most serious charge they end up in prison for could be conspiracy or could be a firearms or a weapons violation when really it had to do with them just being a pot smoker. Those people don't show up in that 0.1 or 0.3% statistic that Kevin Sabet and the prohibitionists will throw out at you. And then there's also a whole bunch of people that go to jail for marijuana that had other things going on. Like, for example, someone who's on probation goes back to jail when they fail the P-test for smoking pot. But they don't get categorized in the jail as going to jail for failing the P-test for smoking pot. They go there categorized under what their original crime was that they were under probation on. So whether it be a robbery or a assault or whatever it might have been, Though, really, they're back in jail because they smoke pot. They don't show up in that 0.1% or 0.3% statistic. But that takes a while to explain. And that takes some nuance to get through to people. Where it's a lot simpler for Kevin Sabet and those types to be able to say, they're making a mountain out of a molehill, people don't really go to jail for marijuana. And that argument becomes much more uh, potent in states that have passed decriminalization, where it is just a ticket and nobody's getting arrested, or in places where Kevin Sabet and his allies can propose some sort of decriminalization that might have a mandatory rehab aspect to it to help out all Kevin Sabet's supporters there in Project Sam. So when it comes to the arguments for marijuana legalization, it's great that we can make some headway with marijuana is safer than alcohol, marijuana raises tax revenue, 
drug dealers don't check ID and so forth. These are great arguments and I'm not saying not to use them. I'm just saying at the core, we must never lose track of the point. But this is about our rights. Hey, you in my class? I am today. All right, that sound means that it is 420 in the uh, Mountain Time Zone. Speaking of the Mountain Time Zone, our guest today is Kevin Romalji from Denver, Colorado. He's a national outreach coordinator for National Model. We're going to talk about our right to work and not be subject to drug tests in the legal states. Stick around. We're back right after this. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show. As someone who is a social worker, I think we really must look at the way we're handling marijuana in this country. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Uh, before we get to the data mines, my apologies to the folks uh, watching out there on YouTube. Uh, I just did in the last segment what was supposed to be the radical rant. And so you're probably looking over there at the uh, at the graphics going... What's he talking about? It has nothing to do with that. <laughs> so, all right. So we're going to do a switch on the fly here. I'll take care of the focus segment where the rant is. And oh, my goodness. <laughs> so much new stuff to press. Anyway, let's get to the drug war data mines because we got this story coming out of Entrepreneur Magazine about how the cannabis stock index grew by 236% in 2016. And it points out how even though marijuana is illegal, we got this new Trump administration, how the uh, desire to invest in the green rush does not seem to be slowing down. Uh, They point out, again, 236% growth in 2016 uh, compared somewhat to when we had that tech boom in the late 1990s, the dot-com boom where stocks were growing that quickly. Uh, the company that has this cannabis stock index is called Viridian. And uh, Viridian is a Viridian Capital Advisors, is their full name. They're uh, financial and consulting services. And they've developed this cannabis stock index. It's got 50 
publicly traded legal marijuana companies. Now, the companies are mostly tracked on what's called the OTC, the pink sheets, the -the over-the-counter stock exchanges, rather than the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. There's still the problem of marijuana being federally illegal, and so the SEC, these organizations that that regulate and control the major stock exchanges, are still wary of the companies, especially the ones that are direct marijuana companies, you know, plant-touching companies, we like to call them. So most of this is from OTC stocks. There is one company uh, traded over the uh, New York Stock Exchange. That's Innovative Industrial Properties. Uh, They opened at $19.75 a share, but their stock is down recently. I just checked it this morning. It's down to $17.78 a share. Uh, But regardless, the the stock uh, index for the cannabis stocks growing by 236% is pretty remarkable when you consider that the S&P 500, uh, a benchmark of industrial stocks, uh, gained just under 10% in 2016. So things, you know, like Apple and Google and and Microsoft and McDonald's and so forth, you know, major, major corporations, those kind of indexes aren't growing anywhere near the level that the cannabis index is growing, 236%. Now, the uh, companies that are traded uh, on the OTC, there's not a lot of guarantees involved and people get involved in them can lose a, a lot of money. I, I was recently speaking to an investor who had uh, put in over $160,000 into one of these cannabis stocks that was trading at something like a, a, a buck 19 share. Uh, and that cannabis stock is now down to something like 19 hundredths of a cent. So that uh, that investment's pretty much all lost at this point. So just because it's going at 236% doesn't mean that there's not some people losing money out there as well. But when it comes to these uh, companies in the uh, cannabis stock index, I don't know if that one was one of them, but uh, they must meet the following criteria. The stock, uh, the company has to have a $10 million market capitalization. It has to do average daily trading volume of at least $20,000 a day. It has to have a float or outstanding shares of at least 25%. And its financial reports must be filed on time for at least the last six months. Now, GW Pharmaceuticals is one of the companies that is included in that cannabis stock index. GW has seen its shares uh, do really well lately as they're still, as they're currently engaged in some phase three clinical trials for some of their uh, cannabis-based drugs like Sativex and Epidiolex. These drugs are uh, likely to become some of the first FDA-approved cannabinoid-based medicines, uh, natural cannabinoid-based medicines, not to be confused with Marinol or Nabilone or Sesamet, these artificial, these uh, artificial THC, synthetic THC uh, types of drugs that are currently Schedule three. The Cannabis Stock Index uh, information is available. You can uh, check that out at dispensaries.com to get this information or entrepreneur.com. In the first half of 2016, the uh, stock index was relatively flat, but last year in the second half of the year, uh, as the legalization votes were ramping up, 
uh, there were the massive gains that we saw that ended up at uh, 256%. So far in 2017, the index has started flat, but it rose about 7% in the last week of January. Cannabis Stock Index available again at entrepreneur.com. You can check out that article to learn more. And again, buyer beware when it comes to uh, buying your stocks over the counter on those pink sheets. Uh, They're not, they don't have a lot of guarantees involved. And uh, you want to be really careful when you get involved with that stuff. All right, we're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll have Kevin Mamalji, the National Outreach Coordinator from the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. We're going to talk about a new effort to protect the right of people in legal marijuana states to work. It's all coming up right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Oh, I could have smoked that pot. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. All right, welcome back, everybody. Today in the activist agenda, we are joined by Kevin Mamalji. He is the national outreach coordinator for Normal, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. And I'm just trying to get the mic up so he can hear me. Okay, let's see. So many settings. Let's see. Uh, can you hear me? Okay, now, Kevin, you're out there. Hello, Kevin. Can you hear me okay? Okay, still having some difficulty. Uh, There we go. Let's see if we got you. Are you there now, Kevin? Yeah, I can hear you, Russ. All right. All right. So many mute buttons and things I had to get to, but we've got you on the line. Glad to have (laughs) you here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, You're in uh, Denver, I presume? Yes, sir. Okay, fantastic. Now, uh, the reason we've got you on the show today is to discuss a a new... uh, missive that I received from uh, National Normal discussing a effort to fight for our right to work, to not be discriminated against uh, just because we're cannabis consumers in these legal states. Uh, give our listeners a little uh, taste of what's going on here. So, um, as you know, we've seen some progress uh, with legalization across the country. Um, couple that with the 29 states that have a medical program, um, this issue kind of came up organically, to be honest with you. Uh, several of our chapters operating in states like Colorado, California, Oregon, Washington, uh, they all started to uh, get emails and, and comments on social media asking about what we could do to help protect them against the discriminatory practice of drug testing 
Um, and so um, from that, each of our chapters started to tackle this issue, doing research on it um, and trying to put together a white paper, I guess, was the, the ultimate goal of each. Um, but once we caught wind, we being national, once we caught wind of each chapter's efforts, we decided to to bring everyone together under the one umbrella and, and form a coalition to take this issue on. Uh, because, as you know, I mean, this is probably, I would say, uh, one of the biggest issues facing marijuana consumers in, in post-legalization states. Uh, I mean, we're making a product readily available and legal, but yet we can't consume it because we could risk losing our job. So uh, it's an important issue, and I'm excited about, about the coalition that we've uh, put together so far. Yes. Uh, in fact, today in Salem, there is some discussion happening in the uh, state house about a bill uh, proposed by Portland Normal to add on to our states. Our state has a, a law that says you can't uh, fire or discriminate against people because of their smoking of tobacco. And they're trying to tack marijuana onto that smoking or vaporization of cannabis onto that law. I understand Colorado's got the lawful off-duties activities statute, but that was kind of shot down when it came to medical marijuana. Uh, what are right. some of the tactics being used in these legal states other than what I just described in Oregon? Uh, in, in regards to reform, is that in, in reform? Yeah, how, how we're going to protect people's right to uh, to use cannabis and not get fired. I mean, well, honestly, a P test. Sure. Uh, a lot of it's education. Uh, I mean, a lot of people, the, the whole reason that this drug testing culture exists in America today is because it was a, a misinformation campaign pushed by uh, those that, you know, were seeking to benefit financially from selling drug testing kits and, and things of that nature. And so uh, I think really educating companies that simply just because someone has, you know, they tested dirty, as it's often referred to they their urinalysis is they detect marijuana in a urinalysis it doesn't mean that they're impaired and i think once companies start to realize that that the argument that these drug tests are needed to make sure that we're uh you know providing a safe drug-free workspace i mean it's it's not really owning up to that simply again just because we're not talking about impairment we're talking about trace metabolites and that's that's where a big part of this coalition is going to spend its time is, is educating uh, lawmakers about this with the hopes of, of drafting legislation. Uh, of course, in addition to what uh, the, the, the bill there in Oregon, I believe it's Senate Bill 301. Um, there's an effort in Washington, House Bill 1094, uh, which is similar. To, it sounds like they're similar. I mean, and, and the goal is to end the discrimination um, that we have to deal with as marijuana consumers. So uh, education is going to be the key, but hopefully the main, the the end result will net some some legislative uh, efforts in some of these other states like Colorado. You know, hopefully next legislative session we'll see uh, um, a, a sponsor of, of legislation slim, similar to what you guys have there in Oregon. Um, but yeah. So the uh, coalition then would include normal chapters in Washington, Oregon, California, Colorado, uh, any others? Uh, correct. And we're also, well, no, it's just the, right now, uh, I'm sorry, it's uh, Oregon, Washington, California, and I believe that's it. Yeah. Colorado's uh, but, not involved at this point? 
Oh, I'm sorry, Colorado as well. <laughs> so we're still we're still waiting for uh, say Massachusetts to get on board with a mass sure. than normal. Okay. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, there's uh, it's interesting when you when you start looking at this issue. Uh, there's been some pretty progressive uh, uh, efforts by uh, municipalities. Um, for example, uh, the city of Boulder in, in 1989 um, passed a a local ordinance banning random drug testing by private employers in the city. Um, and so, you know, we're able to look at these different examples and, and provide those to, to, to lawmakers and say, look, you know, the city of Boulder is thriving. It's not, you know, declining or it's kind of the same argument that we hear or that we heard in states uh, when we were pushing legalization ballot measures that the sky was going to fall and, you know, gloom and doom. That's kind of the argument um, with the drug testing. If we do away with it or we reform it, you know, it's going to be bad for employers and bad for employees as well, just because of the safety risk will be increased. But um, it's interesting because a lot of places, I guess my point is a lot of places, uh, municipalities included, uh, some businesses here in Colorado, I know there was an article out of the cannabis not too long ago, uh, talking about local companies that are just doing away with it. They're taking it upon themselves to uh, do away with with random drug testing or pre-employment drug testing, or maybe not just uh, t- targeting marijuana. Um, and that's you know a lot of where we are are seeing some pushback. Uh, people again, they're assuming that uh, we we're encouraging people to to smoke marijuana and go to work, um, but they don't understand that again. Marijuana could stay in your system for up to thirty days, and so sometimes longer. I hear, but. Uh, what happens is you have somebody that's a good employee, been with a company for five years, goes to his high school reunion, smokes a joint with a buddy, and uh, goes back and is randomly tested. Uh, randomly tested, and, and, and it's not connected to job performance or anything, just a, literally a random test. And that person will then lose everything that he's built, he or she has built over the years. Uh, you know, your employee, your, your benefits, and, and, and all that stuff. And so it's important that we're taking this issue on because... Uh, it affects so many people. The uh, excuses that we hear from employers regarding the need for uh, maintaining this drug testing often revert back to the federal government. They'll say the Drug Free Workplace Act or the, right. the, their Department of Transportation, or sometimes they'll even claim there's an insurance reason, like they get a bonus on their insurance benefits or whatever. Uh, how will we? How will normal and how will this task force, uh, this coalition, deal with the federal aspect of these drug testing regulations? It's going to be tough. You know, I mean, we're going to do what we can. Again, uh, looking at, at some of the options available to us now, uh, here in Colorado, the, the Justin Coates case, I'm sure you're aware of, of, of that situation. A gentleman that worked for Dish Network for, for several years, uh, quadriplegic, um, tested positive, uh, had his medical marijuana card, but was fired uh, for his off-duty activity. And so, uh, there was a, a recent decision by the appeals court that that held upheld uh, the original decision um, that Dish had the opportunity uh, or the right to fire uh, Brandon Coates because of his off duty consumption. Um, so that you know it definitely throws a wrench um, into the situation, and I think the federal um, issue is is definitely going to be one that will be there for years to come. Um, and that's why, you know, I mentioned the the ordinance that the city of Boulder enacted, uh, because there's opportunities for us to do stuff in, in some of our major cities. And even, you know, there in, in Washington and Oregon and, and California included, uh, t- 
tackling this issue on the local level. But then we again, if you if we go back to um, educating employers, right, we went through and uh, we're building a non marijuana coalition, essentially a, a, a group of companies um, that have done away with um, random drug testing or have modified workplace drug screening uh, because of legalization laws, um, in their states. And so, um, that's really going to be helpful for us because it's not going to be just a one-sided argument saying, you know, we as consumers, we're going to have a broad coalition of companies that are saying, look, we have, you know, we did away with our policy when marijuana was legalized in 2012 and we've seen an uptick in, in, in output from our employees, you know, being able to cite positive, uh, real life, um, you know, examples, I think, is really going to help us um, overall. What about the uh, aspect of being proactive on this? I know there were some people involved uh, on the normal board uh, with an app that was uh, kind of an electronic uh, impairment test, a little kind of like a video game thing that helped to uh, determine whether someone was impaired, not just from drugs or alcohol, but from being tired or fatigued or sick or whatever. Is there going to be an aspect to that of, of trying to show uh, employers an alternative that will work to their benefit to keep the workplace safe, work to our benefit to make sure we're not getting busted from metabolites? Right. I think, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the, um, the, I believe it was an app that you could download on your phone, right? Is that correct? Canary, I think was what it was called. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, the, the end goal, and I think, I mean, everybody, um, consumers and employers would benefit and desire the ability to detect impairment. And so I think it, those conversations will be encouraged. You know, if we can get to a place where you can detect impairment and it's proven scientifically, it's not just an arbitrary limit that we, like what we saw in Colorado with its five nanogram DUI, you know, stuff. So uh, I think impairment is is, is going to be the center of conversations moving forward, because again, that's where we, we as marijuana consumers uh, are, are being discriminated against. Because what we're talking about is off the clock, off duty uh, consumption, and so uh, I think that's one of the things that we need to continue to highlight is that we, we are by no way advocating for people to to consume marijuana and then go into the workplace and and put people at risk, say a fork, forklift operator or whoever it may be. Uh, we're just arg arguing for folks that are responsible consumers consuming uh, off the clock uh, in the privacy of their home and, and you know, uh, aren't impaired while on the clock. And so that's definitely going to be a conversation um, as we move forward. So we've got this uh, coalition working together in Washington, Oregon, California, the West Coast states, plus Colorado. So far, right. so far dealing with this on the on the western side. Uh, you can find all of those normal chapters out at the normal website at normal.org. And as we move forward with this, uh, are there are there ways uh, that people can donate to this? I mean, I imagine there might be some expenses necessary in putting this together. Uh, absolutely. I mean, they could visit normal.org. Uh, we have our donate button. It's pretty prominently displayed. Uh, we will be doing some uh, uh, fundraising efforts specific for this coalition's work, um, but we have yet to unveil what that's going to be. Uh, of course, we just kind of officially launched today. It's been a loose-knit coalition up till uh, just a few weeks ago, and then we just started formalizing everything. So uh, I'm sure in the coming weeks you'll see more uh, through our social media and on our website. 
uh, again, specific to these efforts um, so that people know when they're donating that this is going to their money is going to go to fight uh, to end workplace discrimination for marijuana consumers. You mentioned the uh, aspect of educating employers and, and I imagine educating the general public as well. Do you have some resources because some of the uh, uh, attacks get to be, well, uh, pot smokers cause lack of productivity in the workplace or more absenteeism or more use of health insurance or accidents or whatever. Do you have some resources people can uh, get from normal to help make the case? Uh, absolutely. And, and uh, to be honest with you, we're putting together, the coalition is put, putting together a pretty comprehensive white paper that will have, uh, it's going to be a one-stop shop uh, for employers to take a look at and for activists to, to use to dispute these arguments that it's going to uh, impair or it's going to slow workplace production, things of that nature. And so, I mean, it's interesting. Again, when we, when we started doing research uh, just a few weeks ago, when I asked each of our chapters to start dumping you know, just just provide me with all the links and information that they had dug up on this topic. The the Google document that I started with, it ended up being 18 pages long of, of, of different links and, and different studies and different ordinances and uh, all kinds of great information that's really going to help us again, because these are these are real world examples that we'll be able to present. And so uh, we expect to have that uh, document prepared and, and, and released within the next week. Um, it's just been such a such a task with all the the amount of information that's out there. So we're just trying to distill it down uh, so that it's digestible. Um, but we will have that available on our website here soon. All right. Well, Kevin Mamalji is the National Outreach Coordinator for Normal, my old gig. And I want to thank you for joining us for uh, Denver, Colorado. And good luck on this. This is the whole reason I got involved was drug testing at the workplace. And uh, I want to see this end. Awesome, man. Well, hey, thank you so much. Thank you for all that you do, and I appreciate you uh, inviting me on the show today, Russ. You betcha. All right, stay tuned, folks, and when we come back, we'll have time for Radical Rant. We're taking a look at all the California cities and their little poll tax tactics to try to stop indoor home cultivation. You're listening to the Russ Belville Show on RadicalRuss.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. 